Well, good morning. I want to welcome you, and I want to welcome everybody who's watching online. Thanks for joining us. And if you're a guest here this morning, we especially want to welcome you. Right after our service, if you're looking for, or you have questions, or you're looking for a home church, if you would go to our guest services, we would love to share with you about Central Community. We'd love to ask you to consider and pray about making Central Community your permanent church home. So I want to just remind you, this is going to be a really, really busy week, and we've got a lot of activities that are going on. And the first one comes up on Tuesday, and on Tuesday, we're taking the cookies to the prisoners. And so I wanted just to let you know that we've got to repackage all of those cookies, and they're going to need some help right after this service in the atrium. So if you could do that, I know that Sherry and Abby would greatly appreciate it. The other thing is, is that some of you may be going out to lunch after this. <clears throat> Feel free to invite me if you want to. I promise we don't have to bring Lori. No, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Oh, I owe her big time, and you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, we're not going there. But if you go to lunch someplace, what I would just ask that maybe you would consider doing is you can pick up one of these cards. It just talks about our candlelight services this weekend. And we've got one on uh, 6 o'clock on Friday. That's Christmas Eve Eve. And then we've got two on Christmas Eve at 4 and 6. And then next Sunday on Christmas Day, we're having one service in here at 10 a.m. Okay? So I just want to remind you of this. But what this does is this just is a simple way that when you leave, maybe you just leave this on the table and maybe your waitress is looking for something. You know what I believe? I believe that things don't happen by chance. And I don't believe in coincidence. I believe that everything that God does has a purpose. And I also believe that where you're going to lunch, God has already preordained. And you may make a last decision at the last moment, but you know what? God knew that, and he's going to be there waiting for you. And I believe that he may just have somebody there that is waiting to hear from you and get an invitation to a Christmas Eve service. And so I want to encourage you um, to do that if you would. All right, so we're now at the end of our series, and we've been looking at Christmas through Mary's eyes. And so next week, there will be a special Christmas Day message, but it's going to be really short because the service will probably be a little bit shorter. But what I want to focus on today is I just want to, again, remind ourselves of why we celebrate this season. You know, I don't know about you, but there are probably a lot of you, I want you to think back and remember about what life was like in your house when you were about a week or so away from having a baby. Do you remember what that was like? Guys, do you remember what it was like? Your wife telling you, oh, my back hurts, my back hurts. And they're saying, rub it here, rub it here. And then all of a sudden, oh, boy, he got me. In the, you know what I mean? All those kinds of things. And I don't know about you, but I was making runs to the store all the time, picking up peanut butter, pickles, I mean, strawberry, fl- I mean, you, you name it, that's what I was doing. But you know what? It was all because we knew the time was getting close. Anybody else relate to that? Okay, just me and you, okay? All right, good. But here's what I want to tell you about this. I said, you know what? You prepare for the baby, don't you? What were some of the things you did? I know one of the things you did, you had to prepare a room for the baby, right? I remember, man, when, when, I, when we were having babies, when my wife was having babies, okay? You know what? I remember you didn't know what the sex of the baby was until the baby was born. Now, what, in six to eight weeks, you can already find out. But back then, when we prepared the room, we kind of did neutral colors because we didn't know what it was going to be. You know what? But then the other thing we had to do was, you know, you got to pick out a name. And nowadays, everybody's secretive about it. Don't tell anybody what you named him. Don't tell him. <laughs> and then finally, you know, um, you've got you've to pick the hospital to where you're, they're going to be born, right? I mean, there's a lot of preparations. 
But you know what? Mary and Joseph had preparations that they had to make too for the baby Jesus. They had a lot of preparations. They had some preparations that you and I probably would never obviously have to go through. However, Mary and Joseph also had some preparations made for them. There were a couple things that they didn't have to do. Like, for example, they didn't have to worry about naming Jesus. Why? Because God named him, right? Remember, God said to Gabriel, he said, Gabriel, I want you to go to, to Mary and Joseph. I want you to tell him that the name is to be called Jesus. And the word Jesus means the Lord is salvation. All right? So, so Gabriel told Mary, he told Joseph. And then on that day when it came, when the baby was born, and it was that day that Joseph gave him his name, Joseph named him Jesus. And that was symbolic of the fact that he was adopting Jesus into his family, thus fulfilling the prophecies. But that wasn't the only thing that they didn't have to worry about. They didn't have to worry about where he was going to be born either, did they? They didn't have to pick. God already had that taken care of. Remember what he did? He allowed the Roman, the Roman um, emperor, Caesar Augustus, to, to put out a, a call for a, a tax, a census. And so Mary and Joseph had to go to Bethlehem. Now remember, they're not just going to have the trip to Bethlehem and then going home. They're relocating completely. So some of these things for Mary and Joseph, you know what? They didn't have to make decisions about because the decisions were made for them. But still, Mary and Joseph were making plenty of preparations for the birth of this baby Jesus, weren't they? But here's what I want you to remember. As important as that is, I want you to remember that God had been making preparations for this baby to be born since the beginning of time. And what I want you to remember, and you're going to find out today, is our God is in the details. Now, there was a man by the name of Peter Stoner. He was the chairperson of the mathematics and astronomy department in Pasadena College. What Peter did is he got together 600 students. And what they did is they began to set out to figure out what would be the probability of eight prophecies, just eight prophecies referring to the birth of Jesus? What is the probability of all eight of those coming to pass? You know what they found out the answer was? The answer to eight prophecies coming to fruition was one to the 10th to the 17th power. One in 10 to the 17th power. Now, I want you to understand what that looks like, okay? So if I had a hat and I threw in 10 tickets and I put an X on one of them and I brought Pastor Justin up here and I blindfolded him and spun him in a circle and then I asked him to pick out one of those tickets, the probability of him getting that X would be one in 10, right? This means yes. You are all great mathematicians. Awesome. Okay, let's continue on then. So what does 1 in 10 to the 17th power look like? Here's what it looks like. If you were to take a silver dollar, okay? I just happen to have one with me. If you were to take a silver dollar and you were to lay it on the ground flat, you would need enough, you would need enough silver dollars to cover the entire state of Texas. No, I'm not done yet. Two feet deep. No, no, think about this, okay? So let's say I took one of those silver dollars, just one, and I put a black X on it. And then I took all of those silver dollars two feet deep throughout the whole state of Texas, and I mixed them all up, and I said, okay, 
find the silver dollar that has the X on it and you get a one-time chance, you know what the probability would be of you picking that silver dollar? One in 10 to the 17th power. My friends, is our God not amazing or what? And I'll tell you something. He is into the details. And that's what I want to share with you today. Since the beginning of of time, God has been ordering everything so it is exactly perfect so that the baby Jesus could be born. What I want you to remember today is why he came. Stand with me out of respect for God's word. And I'm going to read a very popular part of this story from Luke chapter 2. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 12. Here we go. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this to you will be a sign. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. This is God's word for God's people. Let's pray together. Father, there is so much more to the story of the birth of Jesus than meets the eye. So today, Father, would you just open the eyes of our hearts so we might see once again the real meaning of Christmas and see it through your eyes. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. When I was 14, I lost my brother who was seven to lymphoma. We were living in Topeka at the time. What I remember about that time is it was just a whirlwind. Everything happened so fast. We never knew that there was anything wrong with him. And then one night, in fact, it was a Sunday night, we had to call the ambulance, and 10 days later, we buried him. It was something that I hope nobody has to go through, and it was something that I will always remember. But you know what I remember about that time? Is I remember what the Bible verse was that was used as the scripture for his sermon message. And I'll tell you why I remember it. I remember it because during that week, on the Thursday beforehand, he had memory work to do. He was in second grade. 
And there were three or four different scripture passages that they could choose to memorize. And Mike chose this passage that I'm going to share with you. And here's the passage. It's from John 1:29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, I can guarantee you that Mike never knew that he was choosing his own funeral verse. But what an incredible verse. Would you, believe, would you say so? Now, the question that I have for you this morning is this. Why in the world would John say that about Jesus? Why would he say, look? Now, first of all, if somebody says to you, look, what are you going to do? You're going to look, right? So here's John the Baptist. It's after Jesus has been baptized. It's after he has spent his time in the wilderness. And now he is getting ready to begin his ministry. And John says, look, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. What was he thinking? Well, one of the things that we can say and that we know about this is that this story where he tells this about Jesus, where he, where he identifies him as the Lamb of God, took place somewhere around Bethpage and Bethany and Bethlehem, okay? We do also know that it was right near the road that led to the temple. And this was the road that the temple priests used to take the lambs that were getting ready to be sacrificed for the Passover feast. It was a direct route directly to the temple, okay? Kind of interesting, right? Maybe a coincidence? Well, let's jump away from that for just a second, and let's remind ourselves of this. You know what? You and I have a sin problem, don't we? We do. And that sin problem started in the garden, right? I want you to think about this. In the garden, when Adam and Eve sinned against God, okay, something had to happen. Because as we learned last week, God is holy and sin cannot be in the same place where God is. You know what I think I would have done? I think I would have just wiped everybody out and started all over again. I mean, wouldn't you? But that's not what God did, did he? I want you just to think about this. God in his heart could not stand the thought of not being without you and I for eternity. Do you realize that? He could have just wiped us out, but no. What did he do then? He put a plan into place. And that plan was in place for the purpose of making the relationship right so that anybody who lives on the face of the earth could have the opportunity to be in relationship with the creator of the universe, not just here on earth, but through all eternity, right? Now, I don't know about you, but every once in a while, my wife and I, we have little disagreements. She speaks and I listen. <laughs> but what happens is, is that have you noticed that whenever you get in a disagreement with somebody, you're pretty stubborn and you stay like this? What has to happen? Somebody has to go first, right? Somebody has to swallow their pride and go first. And in the Garden of Eden, God went first. And what he did is he put a plan in place. Now watch, here's the plan. In Genesis 3, verse 21, this is what it says. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. This is the launching of the plan. Because you know what happened? Death now entered into the world. Before that time, it was a perfect world. There was no death. What was the death? God had to put to death some animal... 
and he took the skin from the animals and he clothed Adam and Eve so that he could cover their nakedness and their shame that was caused by their what? Their disobedience. The plan is now in place. Now Leviticus explains it a little bit better. Watch this. For the life of a creature is in the blood. And I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. So what's the author saying here? Here's what he's saying here. He's saying in order for the sins to be be forgiven, blood has to be shed. Okay? All right. Everybody with me? Let's jump ahead to Genesis chapter 22. Remember what happened there? You remember that the Lord came to uh, Abraham and the Bible tells us that he said this to test Abraham. And remember what he said? He said, Abraham, he said, I want you to take your son, your only son, the son whom you loved. Hmm, where have I heard those words before? I want you to take your son, your son whom you love, your only son, and I want you to offer him up as a sacrifice. Okay, guys, just think about this. If that were your child, and God said, I want you to take your child, Bob, and I want you to take him up to Mount Moriah, and I want you to offer him as a sacrifice, would that be, not be a little bit difficult? But what did Abraham do? The Bible tells us that the very next morning, he got up and he was obedient. I want you to think about this. The Bible tells us then that as Abraham and Isaac, as they approached the mountain, he took Isaac, he took one of the servants, and he took the wood that was going to be needed for the sacrifice. And I think the words that probably echo through time that every, nobody, dad wants to hear is when Isaac would say to his dad, dad, we've got the wood, we've got the fire, but where's the sacrifice, right? Do you remember what Abraham said? He said to his son Isaac, the Lord will provide. So Abraham and Isaac go up, he builds the altar, he binds Isaac, can't imagine this, he puts him on the altar, and the Bible says he raises up his knife to do the sacrifice, right? And just as he raises his knife, just as he's ready to perform the act, what happens? God says, stop, right? Stop, we're good. I know where your loyalty and where your love is, right? Can you imagine Abraham? I mean, really? He's ready to kill his son, and God says, stop. All right, now, is that the only thing that happened at that moment? Oh, no, there was something else that happened at that very moment. Do you remember what it was? I'll give you a hint. It happened in the bushes. Do you remember there was a ram that got caught in the bushes. And remember what God said? Take that ram and sacrifice him. What did God do? God just provided the sacrifice, didn't he? All right, now, let me just tell you something about that ram. Do you remember how that ram was tangled up in the bush? In those days, most of the times, sheep and rams and things like that, they would get caught in the thick brush by their wool. But you know what the Bible tells us this ram was caught by? His horns. 
Now, why is that important? I'll tell you why. Thank you for asking. It was because you remember that from the Passover, the sacrifice had to be unblemished. If he was caught in the thicket with all of his wool and all of, then what would happen is he would be cut up and he would be a mess, but he was caught by his horns. Now, here's what I need for you to understand. When God provided that ram in there, he provided a substitute sacrifice. And what God did is God gave us a picture of this. This is the substitute sacrifice. Do you realize that? This little baby who was born of Mary and Joseph, he is the substitute sacrifice for your sin. And he's the substitute sacrifice for my sin. Think about this. Abraham is climbing Mount Moriah with Isaac. And he was a mess. I wonder how many times he had to turn his head when Isaac was talking to him because he had to hide the tears. And all Abraham saw as he was walking up this mountain was is that there is no end to what I'm going through right now. It's a problem, isn't it? Have you experienced that in your life? Where you're walking up a mountain and you're experiencing something you never thought you'd have to experience in your life? Maybe it's a health issue. Maybe it's a loss of a loved one. Maybe you and your spouse are having problems. You never thought you would go, go through this. And in your mind, you're saying, this is a hopeless situation. Anybody relate to that? Now, here's what I want you to think about. And this is your God. While Abraham and Isaac were walking up that mountain, at the same time, there was a ram walking up on the other side. Do you understand that? Whatever you're going through, you may not understand what's happening. You may not understand why you're having to go through this. But I promise you this, on the other side of that mountain, there's a ram that is being provided for you. And the answer's there. It's coming. You just have to be patient and wait. That's our God. Now, what I want you to remember is this. Now you understand a little bit more about why John called Jesus the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. All of those lambs were a foreshadow of the ultimate sacrifice that would be done once and for all through his son, Jesus Christ. Everybody with me? All right, now I'm going to go down a different path, and I hope I don't ruin your Christmas, okay? I remember when we went to the Holy Lands and we went to Bethlehem, and in my mind, I've always pictured what Christmas is supposed to look like. Can you relate to that? Okay. In my mind, it was this. There's the inn. It was full. So you know what? There's a barn out back, and there's cows, and there's a couple donkeys, and there's sheep, and there's all kinds of animals, and that's where the baby Jesus was born. That's what I remembered. And then when our guide took us to where one of the places that Jesus could have been born, I, would, I was shocked. Because the Hebrew word for the word in is the word room. So they took us into this house. And we walked through a door. 
And when we walked up, we walked upstairs and there was this kind of, it's kind of like an apartment. There was this level and this is where the people lived. And then down the stairs underneath was an open room. Right, Rod? And make sure, you awake? Yes, he's awake. Good, okay? All right. So, but there was a room underneath and that's where the animals were kept. And some people believe that that's where Jesus could have been born. I was crushed. I said, there's no way. That's not the way I've had it in my mind. And then you have people like Constantine. You know, when he became ruler, he became a Christian, and his wife decided every place where they thought Jesus did something that was of of importance, she built a temple over it. So then we had to go to the church where they think this is where where Jesus was born. But I want to show you something different this morning. And I'm not saying this is the way it is. I just want you to think about this. Are we all on the same page? All right. Remember when the Magi came to visit Jesus? Remember? Where did they go first to find out their final instructions? They went to Herod, right? And they said to Herod, where can we find this baby born king of the Jews? Herod didn't know anything about it. Remember what he did? He called his religious leaders in, and they referred to Micah chapter 5, verse 2. And what did they do? They told him that he would be born in Bethlehem. So here's my question for you. How in the world would they need know where to go in Bethlehem? How, how, how would they know? Did they just go from place to place? Uh, excuse me, ma'am. Um, do you have a baby? Is it about this old? Is his name Jesus? I don't know. So let's think about something. Let's go back to the book of Micah, one chapter before and chapter four, and let's look at verse eight, okay? Take a look at this. And thou, O tower of the flock. Okay, now that phrase, O tower of the flock, is migdal eater. Okay, that's what it means. And what it means is a tower of the flock. O thou, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, unto thee shall it come, even the first dominion. The kingdom shall come to the daughter of Jerusalem. This is what one of those would have looked like, okay? This is what the tower of the flock would have been. All right, so what were these? These in the beginning were garrisons that the soldiers would use, and they would use it to live in as they protected the community from enemies and also wild animals. Well, long before Jesus was born, the soldiers had abandoned these towers, and what had happened is the shepherds had taken them over. But these weren't just any shepherds, they were temple shepherds. You see, what they would do is they would use these towers for two things. Number one, to protect themselves from enemies. And number two, to protect themselves from wild animals. But there was something else that they did. This is the place where they brought the sheep, the female ewes, where they could birth the lambs that would be used for the sacrifice at the temple. Okay, Pastor Bob, that may be stretching it, but let me tell you why we think this. If you go to Genesis chapter 35, when Jacob buries his, his, his wife, Rachel, she is buried and it uses this place, the tower of the flock. And where was that? The Bible tells us it was just outside of Bethlehem. So here's what I'm just saying to you. Wouldn't it be like God, who never allows anything to happen by chance, to allow his son, the substitute sacrifice, to be born in the very place, a stable, where lambs were born that were going to be used as the sacrifice for the Passover feast. Now watch this. 
Do you remember, and I told you this, I just read this in the Bible, that when the angels came to the shepherds, remember what they said? You are to look for what? A sign. What was the sign? Swaddling cloths lying in a manger. Okay? Not swaddling clothes, it's swaddling cloths. Now, in these towers, it was very common for these temple animals that they would use strips of cloth and they would cover them. They would put them in swaddling cloths and then they laid them in the manger. So think about this. You remember that when the angels came, when the angels left, what does it tell us the shepherds did? They left in haste. So in other words, they left in a hurry. Well, I'm not saying this is the scriptures. This is according to Bob, okay? But what I'm saying is that if they left in a hurry, they must have maybe known where they were going. And it was very common known where these temple lambs would have been kept in these towers of the flock. Now, I just gave you something to think about, something to pray about. But here's what I want you to understand. In our world today, we spend so much time focused on the where and we forget about the why. I believe with all of my heart, there's a lot of things in the Holy Lands that we don't know exactly where they happen. You know why? Because God knows that we would worship the site more than we would the one who is the God who came into this world. Christmas is about heaven breaking into earth right now. And so that's a great theory that maybe that's where he was born. That's maybe what it was. I don't know. But what God wants us to understand is this, and maybe this is why we don't know for sure, because it's not about where, it's about who's in the manger. And who's in the manger is the baby Jesus. When I look at this baby, and in my mind, and I keep thinking All of a sudden, everything goes away. All the hustle and bustle of the world goes away. And all I think about is, okay, why did that baby come? That baby came because a relationship was severed. And the relationship that was severed was the relationship between my heavenly father and me. And it was caused by sin. And God loved me so much that he said to his son, I need you to do something for me. Those are my kids down there. And I can't imagine spending eternity without them. So I need you to do something for me, would you? You bet I will, Dad, whatever you need. I need you to become one of them. I need you to become one of them. And I need you to live the perfect life. And then the only way that we can rectify this sin problem is this. Um, you're going to have to die. You're going to have to shed your blood. And when you do that, the shedding of your blood is going to take care of every sin that ever has or ever will be committed. And I love you, son, and I will raise you from the dead. Remember what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane? Remember what Jesus prayed? (laughs) Father, is there another way? But then he said, but now, anyway, not my will, but thy will be done and we know what happened. I want to share with you just real quickly as I bring this to the close, something that Luke said. When Luke wrote his book, 
Now, one of the things that we know is this, is that we know that Luke from the got his information from an eyewitness account from Mary. And we know according to Acts chapter 1 that Mary was still in Jerusalem, right? Because all of the disciples were gathered together. In fact, she's mentioned there. Remember, who takes care of her? John. There are many scholars believe that Mary is buried. In fact, there's a, a place where you can go see it just outside of, of the um, Mount of Olives. But listen to this here. It says, just as they were handed down to us by those from first were eyewitness and servants of the word with this in mind since i myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning i too decided to write an orderly account for you most excellent theophilus so that you may know now listen to this so that you may know so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught did you hear what luke said it's not so that you know all the places where things happened it's so that you would know for certain that that baby Jesus is the substitute, that he's the Messiah, the one that paid the price for your sin and paid the price for mine. That's how God wants us to look at Christmas. God wants us to see the baby for who he truly is, your Savior and mine. My friends, doesn't it feel good to be loved? Would you please stand? I want to close this by singing a song that I know that you learned when you were just a little one. So way in a manger. And maybe wherever you are, maybe you can't see it or whatever, but just, just look at that manger and remember why it is that Jesus came. Pastor George and Pastor Phil, would you lead us? baby. If you want to know more about what it is that I'm talking about, about him being the final substitute, right out at our starting point, we've got some people who are ready there to answer your questions and to pray with you. I want to encourage you to, to go and visit with them. Now receive the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace and his joy. He is born at Bethlehem go and serve him. God bless you. Have a great week.